the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, May 12th, 2022. I've had the concept of teachable moments on my mind for a few days now, especially coming off the heels of Teacher Appreciation Week and then a whole raft of arguments from the left that came in the wake of the Alito-Dobbs decision draft leak. We have been exposed to all kinds of statements and arguments that simply require teaching, education, teachable moments if we are going to survive and keep this republic. I know that's a consummation devoutly to be wished, at least by the Speaker of the House, for she kept invoking that phrase when she was leading the impeachment of Donald Trump, a republic, if you can keep it. Remember how often she said that? In fact, to recent memory, though, it was really the only time I ever heard Nancy Pelosi quote a founder or the founder's Of course, it was only for serving one partisan purpose. Yesterday, Elizabeth Warren said something interesting after the Senate voted down the Women's Health Act, which would not have solidified Roe versus Wade as they misdirected, but gone well and far beyond it. Again, it's worth mentioning when supporters of a position have to lie about their position to garner support, alarms and sirens should be going off that you are in the midst of not only knavery, but a bad argument and position in the first place. No lie was ever told because the truth was better. No lie was ever told because the truth would gain greater support. No lie was ever told because honesty would prove more successful to your immediate cause. Here's what Elizabeth Warren said, quote, I believe in democracy, and I don't believe that the minority should have the ability to block things that the majority want to do. That's not in the Constitution, close quote. I'll give you the quote again. I believe in democracy, and I don't believe that the minority should have the ability to block things that the majority want to do. It's not in the Constitution, close quote. Now, immediately, three things should constitute our teachable moment, math and history and English literature or language arts. Let's start with math. The Senate vote was 49 to 51. Her side achieved 49 votes. 49 is, as it turns out, less than 51. Is Elizabeth Warren saying her side will now go home and lick their wounds because her side was in the minority and thus should not have the ability to block things? Like a Supreme Court decision that was also decided by a majority, so it appears? Of course not. She's simply lying. 51 is a majority compared to 49, and 5 is a majority compared to 4. And she hates those majorities' positions, so she is speaking on behalf of some other majority somewhere, I guess, or she's simply lying. If, to give her her due, she is thinking of some poll somewhere that shows a majority support her view of abortion, I got to tell you, I don't think that exists either. I've never seen a poll that shows anything close to majoritarian support for the right to abortion up until the point of birth, as the bill that failed yesterday in the Senate would have legalized. If she's talking about some other poll that constitutes support for her general view on abortion, we don't know what it is either, because Elizabeth Warren also supports partial birth abortion, and a minimum of 57% of the population, with some numbers going as high as 70%, have always opposed 
that procedure as well. 57 to 70 percent range is a majority. One might even say a super majority. If she's talking about something else, she should tell us because her definition of democracy and the concept of majority is the opposite of what her words mean. It may not matter. We live in a world of those opposites. It's not so much the Wolves Dictionary that Abraham Lincoln spoke of. You may want to call it the Humpty Dumpty Dictionary. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't. Not until I tell you. I mean, there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master. That's all. You get that argument, right? You get that argument from Plato in the Republic, in the, vo- in the, in the throat of Thrasymachus, in the words of Thrasymachus. You get it in the notion that might makes right. And we've certainly been subject to that dictionary, haven't we? Riots are mostly peaceful, marching peaceably and patriotically is insurrection, speech is violence. Following the science means following the science you agree with. Gender affirming means sex changing. Black men can be white supremacists. Color blindness is racism. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Yes, those last three are fictional or were. But comes now another interesting thought from Professor Elizabeth Warren when she says a minority should not be able to block things a majority wants to do. Well, then why vest anything in the federal courts or the Supreme Court, we should be asking? I've been talking about this strange knockdown argument I'd never seen before, but have seen in proliferation since about Wednesday of last week that the Supreme Court should not thwart majority sentiment. Again, I don't know what the majority sentiment is on abortion because based on the procedure the pro-choice side supports, majorities are nowhere to be found. But if they are making a general and generic point about abortion's legality in some instances, yes, there are some majorities to be found and most of them barely. Gallup has the generic question, do you consider yourself pro-choice or pro-life at 49 to 47 percent respectively? But that's not anywhere near the point, really. As I have tried to explain, please don't let the left get away with this ahistorical and anti-constitutional reasoning. The Supreme Court was never meant to be a super legislature or the clerk of the Senate and House merely ratifying and stamping majority, majority obtained legislation or majoritarian state legislation or majoritarian plebiscite as in a ballot initiative or referendum. There are other offices and other officers for that, namely clerks and secretaries of state most people have never heard of that certify those votes. The courts are there precisely to counter majoritarian sentiment when such sentiment runs afoul of the Constitution. Do you really think, after all, the people of Topeka, the majority of the people of Topeka supported desegregating schools? Or is that how we got the decision of Brown versus Board of Education? Of course not. Do you think the court was upholding majoritarian sentiment when it struck down portions of our immigration enforcement law in here in Arizona? Or Texas's law protecting against the burning of the American flag? Professor Warren used to teach at Harvard Law School. She got there by deceit, taking an affirmative action slot from someone who was a legitimate minority when she lied about being one herself. 
though, of course, she tells you she's against discrimination. That aside, I'm nearly certain they still teach Marbury versus Madison at Harvard Law School, which would have been the case, is the case, that stands for one proposition and one proposition only, that the courts were established to engage in something you might have heard of called judicial review. It was there that Chief Justice John Marshall explained, quote, certainly all of those who have framed written constitutions contemplate them as forming the fundamental and paramount law of the nation. And consequently, the theory of every such government must be that an act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void. If an act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void, does it, notwithstanding its invalidity, bind the courts and oblige them to give it effect? This would be to overthrow, in fact, what was established in theory and would seem an, an absurdity too gross to be insisted upon. It is emphatically the province and duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. So if a law be in opposition to the Constitution, if both the law and a Constitution apply to a particular case, the court must either decide that case conformably to the law disregarding the Constitution or conformably to the Constitution disregarding the law. The court must determine which of these conflicting rules governs the case. This is of the very essence of judicial duty, and it's the Constitution that should take precedence every time. That's John Marshall. Note the theory that the courts are merely there to ratify majoritarian sentiment was to John Marshall and the entire court of our founding generation, quote, an absurdity too gross to be insisted on. What Elizabeth Warren is peddling is too gross of an absurdity to be insisted upon, according to John Marshall. But that's what we are being sold. Gross absurdities, perversions and distortions of language, revisions of history as well. Makes you kind of want to ask if there may be a problem with the truth, the reality of what the left is trying to sell and force you to buy when they do sue based on perversions, distortions and revisions. That's not their only set of weaponry, of course, the abuse and misuse of language. It's amongst their chief weaponry. Fascism, they said. Tyrant, they called our president. Racism, they said. Threat to the Constitution, they called Donald Trump. Existential threat to the country, they said. Now they just say it about all Republicans. Now with all that fascism and tyranny, please explain to me how Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House as that was going on and somehow still is. Remind me how Chuck Schumer was the leader of the U.S. Senate in those days and somehow still is. Can someone tell me one example, one, where an opponent of Trump or conservatives or conservatism was silenced or banned, much less gulagged, the kinds of things tyrants and fascists really do? What do Democrats do? Well, they call their opponents these base epithets, conjuring up the worst forms of governance and humanity. And you'll recall from earlier broadcasts here that it's nothing new. Barry Goldwater's convention had Mein Kampf as its Bible, said the San Francisco Examiner and other national columnists. An entire magazine dedicated itself to a story, cover story of mental health experts claiming Goldwater was mentally unfit to hold the office of the presidency. Anyone remember the phrase Bushitler? In 1980, Jimmy Carter said Ronald Reagan was injecting racism into his campaign. Here's a headline from 1985, quote, Congressional Black Caucus calls Reagan racist, close quote. It's nothing new. What's new is the permission, the sanction it's been given by the leaders of the Democratic Party in the media. 
Jamie Harrison, chairman of the Democratic National Committee, said on national television only a few months ago, quote, the Republican Party has become a party of fascism and fear, close quote, the whole party. Think about the fascism, the curtailment of civil liberties, the suspension of habeas corpus, and of course, the fear. Think about all those Republicans, from Anthony Fauci to governors like Cuomo and Whitmer and Newsom, who implanted fear in the population over the coronavirus, overseeing the seizures of property and travel. And tell me they aren't cosmologizing their deficiencies. Tell me they aren't projecting. It's almost as if words have totally lost their meaning. Donald Trump and the Republicans wanted businesses and schools to stay open. Thus, they're the fascists. And, of course, the deaths have expanded and increased under Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Got that? Trump killed Americans. End of story. Well, a year into the thing and with a vaccine, Biden killed more, actually killed more, 200 percent more with a year's experience and a vaccine that did not exist when Donald Trump was president. And nothing is said or done, though when Trump was in office, 200 percent less deaths were, according to Joe Biden, disqualifying for the presidency. So about that fascism and tyranny of Donald Trump's, can anyone give me one single solitary example? All the curtailments of freedom were against him and his supporters. This is what happens when my truth eclipses the truth. And one other thing, all that racism, all those BLM protests and riots and banners, I guess we solved it. You don't hear about it anymore. Did we get over our systemic racism? When's the last time anyone made a thing of it? Kind of interesting how quickly a systemic, systemically racist country can fix itself, isn't it? Oh, yeah. One other thing is New York City is now giving votes and voting rights to non-citizens. An idea I heard on the Mike Gallagher show. Just make sure those non-citizens are from Russia and bam, no more outside collusion or influence. It will just be direct democracy voting in the daylight from non-citizens who live here. I guess voting rights and sanctity of our elections, including foreign influence operations, dissipate when you allow non-citizens to vote in the first place, just as I guess questioning the legitimacy of an election is okay if your name is Al Gore or Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton or Jimmy Carter or the new White House press secretary, Karen Jean-Pierre, who routinely tweeted that an election in Georgia favoring the Republican was a fraud, though it was decided by over 55,000 votes. You see, after all, it's about nothing claimed by the Democrats. It's about a one-party state where Democrats are the only legitimate party in America, where any argument will do. The hell with history and fact and definitions of words as the common language understands them. And that, my friends, is actual tyranny and fascism. If you don't see this happening or taking place or suffusing our political and social culture, you are purblind. Please, I beg, MOFA, make Orwell fiction again. And while at it, send Elizabeth Warren back to school, but not as a professor this time. I think she needs to be there as a student. And she should start with remedial math and then give her basic civics. Schoolhouse Rock ought to be a good enough start. She's playing and speaking at a level these days where that might even be considered for her advanced placement. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Did you eat all your fruits and veggies today? How about 10 servings? If you could take 10 servings of fruits and veggies, would you do it if it was easy and you could do it in a single daily dose? I do it every day. And sometimes I do a little more. Today I did a little extra because uh, I was just tired this morning after a breakfast. I usually don't eat breakfast, but I had to eat one, and eating makes me tired, and I needed to get on with my day. So I took a little extra balance of nature because you can't really overdose on fruits and veggies. It's a great pick-me-up. But just taking it as a routine thing every day, as I do at least once a day, boosts your immunity, boosts your energy generally, and, of course, your health. It's pure, potent plant power. It's the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, totally tested by a third party for everything from bacteria and pesticides, heavy metals, you name it. Whole food nutrition from Balance of Nature, 100% natural, a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Okay, uh, things are moving fast here. I don't know if it will result in anything. I don't know if there is going to be anything like taking responsibility on behalf of the Democratic Party or this administration. To take responsibility means to respond. To respond means to answer. It's the cognate of accountability. And Karen Jean-Pierre, who I was just mentioning in my monologue, the new White House press secretary, I said, you know, it's okay, I guess, for Democrats to question the legitimacy of elections. But if Republicans do it, it's an impeachable offense. And I cited that Karen Jean-Pierre was uh, has several tweets questioning an election in Georgia that deprived Stacey Abrams of the office of governor that she sought. This has been looked at. What's the phrase? What's the phrase? We've been over this and over this, you know, from uh, Cohen Brothers, Fargo, Cohen Brothers. We've been over this and over this. Uh, Fifty five thousand votes is what Stacey Abrams lost by. There was no fraud. But 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 we have now found more. Karen Jean-Pierre um, was now also found to have been questioning the 2016 election, just like Jimmy Carter, just like Hillary Clinton, just like Na- Nancy Pelosi. It turns out Miss Jean-Pierre, Scott, uh, uh, John Wright's uh, powerline had a broader affinity for election conspiracy theories that went beyond Georgia. Today it came to light that she had also said Donald Trump stole the 2016 presidential election. Here's one of her tweets. From 2016, December of 2016, stolen emails, stolen drone, stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. Say more about this when we come back. Boy, though, you will get scolded, you will get canceled, and you will get shamed if you raise any question about Biden's legitimacy or mental acuity. We'll be right back. We sat right here in this room and went over this and over this. Yeah. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I was just telling you before the break about uh, the new White House press secretary, uh, Karen uh, Jean-Pierre, and how it had become known last late last week that she had... Uh, been questioning the legitimacy of the governor's election in Georgia for some time. And now it is uh, shown that she was also questioning the legitimacy of the 2016 election along the lines of Nancy Pelosi Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. 
none of which was ever impeachable, of course, of uh, of any office holders who questioned the 2016 election. It was only the 2020 election that uh, that you were allowed to um, be impeached for questioning or that you had to be impeached for questioning. Uh, John uh, Hinderocker writes, everyone knows that expecting intellectual consistency from a Democrat is like expecting self-restraint from a toddler, but still... Haven't we been told nonstop for the last year and a half that our elections are sacrosanct and beyond reproach and that to question the result of an election and to suggest the result was procured by fraud is out of bounds? It will at a minimum get you bounced from Twitter if the election in question was won by a Democrat. To be fair, Jean-Pierre is not alone in her false conspiracy claims. As we mentioned, Hillary Clinton claimed that the 20 election, 2016 election was stolen from her. She hasn't exactly been cast into the outer darkness. She wasn't alone. Jimmy Carter, Nancy Pelosi, the Al, Al Gore, the entire firmament, <laughs> the entire constellation of Democrats was involved in questioning the outcome of 2016. On the other hand... Those who allege that the 2020 election was uh, was suspicious are systemically barred from the public square. I wonder whether anyone in the White House press corps will question Ms. Jean-Pierre about these matters when she takes the podium in the White House. In particular, will anyone ask her whether it is now the official position of the Biden administration that the 2016 election was stolen? That's actually a good question. Is it the official position of the Biden administration that the 2016 election was stolen because Jen Psaki was on record saying it as obviously so too is the new incoming White House press secretary. I know how they'll answer. If they're smart, I know exactly how they'll answer. I'm not giving it away, they'll say. I don't think the White House takes positions on whether past elections were fraudulent or not. That's all they'll say. It, uh, you know what this has me in mind of? Because I've been having this conversation with a few conservatives uh, that are regular guests of this show. Hypocrisy is not is not a great argument. I mean, it's actual and it's true and it is there and it does describe this. Um, it's, it's verity can't be questioned here that that's what's being engaged in, hypocrisy. But it doesn't really move needles. It doesn't really garner sufficient outrage because to have hypocrisy stick to the person to have it have a consequence to the person you're alleging it about requires that that person have shame or care about the hypocrisy when they don't they care about outcomes they care it's the only thing and only time the left does care about the outcome um any mean will do any any means will do. The ends to them justify the means. It's a very, 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 very dangerous thing. But the hypocrisy argument won't work. You know what might, however, and I learned it from Saul Alinsky. It's one of his rules for radicals. You know what it is? Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. That's not charging hypocrisy. It's actually rolling up your sleeves and doing something strong, doing something strong, marshalling our troops, pointing out the truth and getting people ready to have a wave election like this country has never seen.
If you are looking for in the market for a remarkable and unique investment opportunity with a great return in investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. It's a great investment that they're offering. I've spent a lot of time with these guys, and they have become my friends. I'm talking about a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out of debt the right way by doing the right thing paying off their debts, and doing so with dignity, which Y-Refi helps with, even getting their FICO scores fixed along the way. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm run by, as I say, really great people who are really doing very well by helping others, and you can, too, help others and do very well. I would never endorse an investment like this unless I truly believed in it, and I do. I want you to check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y. Dot com investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087 uh this is going to be the new call of the left you're going to see uh, marches if not columns all over the campuses about this um but uh it started to bubble up yesterday it's becoming a bigger story and it's the death of uh the killing of an Al Jazeera reporter, an, uh, an American uh, by immigration, uh, named Shireen Abu Akleh. And what Al Jazeera did, which is where she worked for, uh, where, where, where Shireen Abu Akleh worked, Al Jazeera, they immediately put out that she was killed by uh, an Israeli uh, IDF member, a member of the Israeli army. Uh, this is completely unknown. The, 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 we don't know this. Um, that was a, a false statement. Uh, in fact, if you go to the New York Times today, under the theory that a broken clock is right twice a day, you will see the investigation of this death is hinging on something the Palestinians uh, and the Palestinian Authority will not cooperate with. The Palestinian Authority said it would not let Israeli officials examine the bullet that killed Akleh. Uh Israel said it's the only way to determine who fired it, and they won't do it. Uh, from the story, the bullet has become a central point of contention. The PA on Thursday declined a request to let Israeli officials examine the bullet uh, that uh, that killed Miss Ackley, though they have it. The authority said it would investigate the death, rejecting Israeli calls for a joint inquiry and for the bullet to be assessed in a laboratory under international supervision. Again, when you're afraid of the truth or you lie, you may be on to the notion that you're not dealing with with the truth. Um, question really becomes, though, why there was fighting in Jenin in the West Bank in the first place. Um, the PA's refusal to fight the terrorists is the answer. Uh, that's what forced the Israelis to go into Jenin and do the job themselves. Under the Oslo Accords, the PA was supposed to disband all terrorist groups, seize their weapons, and outlaw them, put them out of business. Uh, one can understand the logic, I suppose, of uh, what was negotiated back then under Prime Minister Rabin to outsource the fight against terrorism to the Palestinian Authority. After all, they knew the terrain, they knew where the West weapons depots and safe houses and training sites were located, and the PA certainly has the ability to do the job. It has one of the largest per capita security forces in the world. They could smash the terrorist groups if they wanted to, but they just don't want to. 
The PA never outlawed the terrorist groups. It has never made a serious effort to capture its members or seize its weapons in Jenin or anywhere else. The Palestinian Authority treats the terrorists in Jenin and the other areas under its control as brothers and allows them to operate freely. That's why Israelis were in Jenin 27 years after the Palestinian Authority became the sole ruler in Jenin. And the city is still filled with activist terrorist cells from Hamas to Fatah to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Think about a city like that. It's a small city, right? Small city, pretty much just a little little more than a village. <laughs> and you've got it soaking with Hamas, Fatah, and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. None of, none, none, none of that is Israel's fault, of course. The city has been under their control since the 90s. Not Israel's control, the Palestinian Authority's control. Uh, as I said, even the New York Times can occasionally admit that terrorists roam free in cities. For example, a couple of years ago, the Times reported that Israeli troops were forced to enter the Jenin uh, camp uh, in pursuit of terrorists then because Jenin is under the full control of the security forces of the Palestinian Authority, and they wouldn't crush the terrorism that was going into Israel back then. It's the PA's deliberate inaction that has forced the Israeli army to occasionally enter into these areas. The alternative would be for the Israelis to just sit back and wait for the terrorists to attack again and again, which they obviously cannot do. They have to chase them, and sometimes that means chasing them into the Palestinian Arab city. It's the theory of hot pursuit. No Israeli commander wants to send his soldiers into those areas. Never. It means endangering the soldiers' lives. It means the possibility of situations in which people are inadvertently hurt, harmed, killed. But uh, t- you, you, you have no choice. You have no choice. Uh, think about, think about what, what this country would do or should do were this happening right on top of its border. Isn't that kind of the issue? The Palestinian Arabs do have a choice. They don't have to pick up guns and shoot at the Israeli soldiers. They just don't. In fact, if the Palestinians were as moderate and peace-seeking as a lot of people like to claim on their behalf, and as the State Department is always telling us, they wouldn't pick up guns at all. Instead, you know what they would do? They would cheer when the Israeli arrest when the Israelis arrest terrorists. They would cheer. You would think they would cheer. They don't. They build parks and schools and name them after the terrorists. That's what they do. That's the world we're living in. Um, Beware the quick shot that Al Jazeera puts out. Beware the quick condemnation and beware a society that is afraid of the truth and will not let international inspectors examine the case. Beware that regime. Beware that regime. Israel wants an open investigation. The Palestinians don't. They're just happy to have the blood libel out there. I show you the times. We'll be right back. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. I was uh, doing a little reading on Walt Disney. Just was fascinated by the notion of, you know, what the founder of a major massive company uh, with name brand that anyone would, any company would be jealous of. I'm just curious to see, you know, what some of his thoughts and writings were about compared to what has become of his company. Do you know that John Sullivan ruled? John Sullivan was for many years the publisher of National Review. said any institution that is not by conviction inwardly and outwardly conservative will become liberal. 
will become liberal. You have to be inwardly and outwardly, you have to inwardly and outwardly project and protect your ethos because liberalism is a strong is a strong power and leftism is an even stronger one. Anyway, I love this quote of his I discovered. Somehow I can't believe, this is Walt Disney, somehow I can't believe that there are any heights that can't be scaled by a man who knows the secrets of making dreams come true. The special secret, it seems to me, can be summarized in four C's. They are curiosity, confidence, courage, and constancy. And the greatest of all is confidence. I, I, I love those four C's. I knew the three C's of education. Dr. Bennett had the three C's of education, content, character, and choice. But I think these four C's are maybe something we should, to honor Walt Disney maybe, additionally, as well as our country and ourselves, carry with us through November. Curiosity, that is to say intellectual curiosity, confidence, courage, and constancy. The greatest of all is confidence. Don't let them take you down. Don't let them wear you down. Don't let them think you are, make you think you're wrong and they're right. Don't let it happen. Confidence. Honor Walt Disney and honor the country with all of that. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.